Hi everyone, I'm Steve Shepard and I'm a member of the UK-based Wildlife Sound Recording Society. Now unlike most of the members, I live in the States, specifically in Williston, Vermont, in the extreme northeast corner of the country. Vermont, as you probably know, is the home of maple syrup, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, Bernie Sanders, if you happen to be a follower of American politics, and an extraordinary population of very vocal resident and transient wildlife. Now, I've been chatting quite a bit lately with Roger Boughton, a longtime member of the society and a very talented recordist, not to mention a former officer of the organization. Now, one of the things that Roger and I've talked about is expanding the footprint, if you will, of the WSRS to represent more sound-related activity from places outside the UK. As it happens, we have members throughout the world, many of whom contribute beautiful recordings each month from their respective locations, and we'd like to attract more. We'd also like to attract more young people to the society, and the best way to do that is to provide them with an incentive to join. Now, unlike photography, as most of you probably know, there are countless educational resources, clubs, conferences, workshops, and so on for that particular hobby. Wildlife Sound, however, has far fewer resources out there to attract new people into the field. So we'd like to help change that. I mean, let's face it, the initial entry into Wildlife Sound recording can be a bit daunting. I mean, what kind of gear do I need in my kit? How much do I have to spend to get started? Where can I find resources that will help me learn? How do I get in touch with other recordists who can help me improve my skill? These are all great questions, and we'd like to expand our membership ranks by making it a bit easier to get started. Now, to do so, we'd like to offer this first in what will be a series of podcasts. In this very first episode, Roger and I talk about my role with the Society, what he's seen in his many years with the organization, and some of the things that we'd like to do going forward. So with that in mind, let's get started. And by the way, we recorded ourselves using Skype as we held a real-time conversation from both sides of the Atlantic, so bear with us. The recording is fine, but it's never going to win awards for its sound quality. Hi, this is Roger Bowen, and I would like to introduce you to Stephen Shepard, who has volunteered to keep us informed about the wildlife recording scene in the U.S. of A. Stephen, over to you. Well, thank you, Roger. It's uh, very nice to be here. I appreciate the introduction. Uh, I, as you know, I, uh, I kind of reached out to the society about three or four months ago because I wanted to create more of a connection between the U.S. Uh, sound recordists and folks in the U.K., and I'm hoping we'll be able to do that together. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, it, it, WSRS is, has got members all around the world, and we need to improve our linkage with the US of A. You know, there's a lot going on right now in, in the world of, of uh, sort of sound recording. I, I think interest in this field has never been stronger. I also think that there's a good reason for that, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. But you know, there is one question I'd like to ask you, and that is, you know, to a certain extent, from your perspective, of course, where where's the society heading? Well, it's a jolly good question. And as an ex-chairman myself, I've, I've often wanted to point the WSRS in, in, in certain directions. But we're, we're at a, a tipping point at the moment. We are in the process of really getting ourselves more involved around the world more involved in modern ways of doing things like podcasts, like Twitter and Facebook, getting the, 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 that, that, that side of thing, trying to attract younger members. But the one thing we mustn't leave behind is the 
are quality of the sound recording that we do. And we've got to maintain that and improve our face within the, um, within the uh, digital environment. Uh, we've, we've got a wonderful sound magazine. We're going to have a really better um, journal. It's, uh, it's, that's going to be a, a major concern for us. And we're redoing our website to be much more interactive with everybody. So, you know, that's, that's where we're going. Well, you know, I think that's very important, and I, and I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, in every organization, if it wants to survive and live into the future, has to evolve in sort of in keeping with, you know, societal changes and so on. But there's one particular thing that, that I believe is embedded in the mission of the society and that aligns very nicely with one important thing going on today, and that is that the young people today, the so-called millennial generation as we know them, have one characteristic that I applaud pretty loudly, and that is that they are extremely committed to making a difference in whatever way they can, whether it's with their, with their community, with the world at large, at their jobs, whatever. They really want to make a difference. And one of the things, of course, that they're focused on is the environment, ecological matters, that kind of thing. And especially today, with especially here in the States, with the ongoing attack on science that's happening, they are, they are mounting a strong defense. And I think that we have an opportunity here to marshal the forces of a very large generation, bring them into the fold, as it were, and, and harness them to help us spread the word of what we're all about. So I, I think the timing couldn't be better. I totally agree uh, in so much as that trying to get younger people involved in what is our hobby, and it's usually made up of Mature people like myself, <laughs> I was going to use another expression, but I won't, um, who've been doing it for a long time. There's, a, there's tremendous science available to deal with whatever you've recorded. You've, you can do so many more things now than we could do 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, and I just want to get more young people into it. And I'd like to get you know, school children into it. But what we're talking about here is the more, you know, teenagers, 20s, you know, who show interest in the environment, interest in what animal sounds, you know, animals' communication, what's it all about? And, um, I, you know, to harness that will, will be very good. I agree with you. In fact, you know, it's funny. One of the things that I... You know, as as uh, you know, a fellow old fart, shall we say? Um, one of the no, things you've used the <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> no, one, one of the things that that I believe is a problem today is that because of the plethora of available media for that for entertainment for kids, they're not spending as much time outside as they used to. And you know, I'm not going to stand here and attack video games or television or movies because they all have their place. And you know, a lot of learning is done through video gaming. I'm not, you know, I refuse to to attack it. But I also believe that a connection to nature, a connection to wildlife, a connection to to that which lies outside the door, is really important in in the world today. And so. You know, it's funny. I, I teach a lot of uh, I teach a lot of photography courses. We'll talk about that later on. But in the workshops that I deliver, I often teach my my participants that there's a difference between looking and seeing. Everybody looks, but most people don't really see. 
And we do exercises to prove that. And I think the same is true in the world of biophony, the world of recording. You know, it's a difference between hearing and listening. Everybody hears. But to train yourself to listen, to really listen to all the different sounds that are around you and to then make sense of those gives you an insight that frankly comes from no other place. And so I want to, I want to, I think that's a gift and I want to make sure that we spread that gift as widely as we possibly can. Well, I, I just, I just can't uh, say anything against what you said. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful world out there. This, um, this uh, animal sounds. We've learned so much. I'm sure there's a lot more to learn. But being out there and hearing, and you say looking and they don't see, I think they hear and they really don't understand what they're hearing. And, well, we all do. I mean, I, I went out the other day and I went, what, what's, what's all that about? Well, what, what's happening here? Why has that made that sound then? You know what, what? What is it? You know, and you 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 always question that, and that's that questioning way of thing, uh, way of going on, doesn't leave you, and it should always be with you to um, to do that. But when you've got a young brain, and you're not weighed down by life, things that have happened in life, you can approach things without any any blinkers or anything like this. You just go, wow, what is that? I wish I could be 20 again, you know, and, um, and, uh, and, and have my lovely little, you know, digital recorder with me and my, my super new, my new super new microphones. Of course, hey, I'd learn a lot more. <laughs> well, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful rock song where the, the singer says, you know, I wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a certain amount of truth right. to that. <laughs> That's, there's, a, there's a few things that, that were going with that one as well. Oh, dear. If only I knew when, what I knew now when I was 20. Uh, you asked me here, uh, I mean, you, you sent me, I have, I have to admit to you, sending me a, a few questions so, you know, I, so I could get my head around things, which is very good of you. You, ask, um, you, you asked how, how long I've been recording. Well, I think it's obvious from the previous discussion, a long time. And... You had to work at it then, and that's, you know, when you had to work at getting a recording, like you had to work at getting a photograph, you know, you really did get much more pleasure out of it than when you go, oh, I've got it on my iPhone, that's it's good enough, you know. Um, it, it, oh, it, didn't, it didn't, didn't stay there long enough for me to record. There's clearly a linkage between, between ethic and quality. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I remember, you know, back in the days when I was shooting film and every time I pushed the button on my camera, you know, I was spending probably 35 or 40 cents each time I did that. And today, you know, you point your digital camera that fires 30 frames a second at a subject, one of them is going to come out pretty well. So there's no craft. The craft is sort of disappearing. And I think that's a serious problem because it's the craft that connects you to the the subject matter that you're at hand. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we had some work done in the house. We, we built this house about 25 years ago, and as with all homes, there comes a time when you have to replace windows and so on. 
So we hired a fellow to come in and do some work for us who has since become one of my best friends. In fact, he lives very close to us here. He's a master, master craftsman. I mean, this guy does work like, like nobody's business. We were working in the front yard on a window and all of a sudden he sort of murmured under his breath, Merlin. And I looked at him sort of puzzled and said, uh, King Arthur? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure I wasn't sure what game we were playing. <clears throat> and he said, "No, no, there's a pair of merlins in that tree up there." And I said, "What is a merlin?" He said, "Steve, it's the second smallest falcon in North America." I said, "Wait a minute, the smallest falcon is 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 the American kestrel." He said, "Yeah, well, this is the second and you have a pair of them nesting in that tree over there." I had no idea. I've always been a bird enthusiast. I've never been a deliberate birder. Well, that changed when I met Jim. Uh, he and I now routinely get up at ungodly hours of the morning and go out for dawn chorus and then to look for the things that, that, that birders do. And in fact, that very first day, the first time I went out with him, I'll never forget it, he said to me, so do you have a favorite bird? And I said, actually, I do. It, it, it's called the American Kestrel, and, and I love it. I've always loved it. But I don't think they have them here in Vermont on the East Coast because we moved here from California. I said, I, I've never, I haven't seen them you know, at all since we moved out here. And he interrupted me, and he went, there's one. <laughs> and there, there was literally an American Kestrel sitting on the wire. And that day, over the course of about two hours, we saw nine of them. It's the difference between looking and seeing. And it goes back to this craft. If you really work hard to understand the craft, then the process becomes second nature and relatively simple. It doesn't get in the way of the fun, the excitement, the beauty of doing what we do as, you know, as, as sound recordists. So very funny. But no, but the thing is what you're saying, and you get more enjoyment out of any hobby if you have to, do a little bit of work to it. You know, let's take it a bit further. Let's why let's understand it more. And the enjoyment, the satisfaction from doing that makes the whole hobby, the whole uh, interest much better. It, it firms it up in so you know. Well, I think that's a good expression. Firms it up. You know, it gets more embedded in your way of life. And um, you know, that's that's. That's what I'd like people to do, and especially younger people. But like all the natural history societies, the average member tends to be reasonably mature. Maybe in the future, our journal or sound magazine may go electronic. There are members of our society that haven't got the facility. You've got to learn, and they've been members for 30 and 40 years. And we've got to be able to deal with that. And as well as there's someone who wants to see the latest thing on Twitter. But when it comes to that side of thing, the media, you have to have people doing it all the time. You need to have something happening all the time. Unfortunately, it seems that people get bored, and particularly young people, when nothing is changing. They need to see some change. And we hope that we will be able to do that in some way or other and make the WSRS more attractive. Well, I think we can. And, and, and you know, I think there's an interesting uh, sort of a dichotomy here. And that is that you are absolutely correct in what you say. And part of the reason for that boredom, the fact that, 
that that younger people get bored quickly is because they are constantly barraged by this cacophony of different rich beautiful media and you know they they time slice between all of these different things and it's just kind of in their nature i think though that and just from my personal experience working in in doing a lot of work in generational theory one of the things i see is that if you can build context around content for them they will focus and they will pay attention to it and so you know the the context here is there are numerous very important reasons why we want to make sure that we get younger people in here. One of them is that, you know, sound ecology is crucially important. People like Bernie Krauss have taught us that there's a reason to pay attention to sound because it's a good indicator of the health of, of the health of, of the environment. I mean, it's kind of one of the canaries in the coal mine, if you will. Um, the other thing is that, you know, there's a, there's a problem of unchecked human growth in a lot of areas, and we've got to make sure that we're doing everything we can to, to sort of protect the planet. And the final thing is that, you know, as we said earlier, I want, I want kids to be connected with the natural world. I, I don't want to disconnect them from the media that they enjoy, but I want them to also be connected to the natural world, because to understand the natural world is to understand the world in general. And then finally, I think, honestly, one of the things I love about about the society and doing what we do as recordists is that, you know, it's, it's underrepresented. When I go into the bookstore and go over to the magazine section, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of books, or magazines rather, about photography. Every aspect of photography you could possibly explore. There's nothing on sound. Ours is the only one. And that to me is kind of wonderful because in one way, we're sort of on a frontier here. We're sort of blazing the trail for this amazing capability of, of recording the natural world and putting it out there as yet another representation of everything that, that surrounds us. So I want people to know about that. I, I, think, I think that's rather important. You just scared me to death now. Um, um, because as you know, I'm, uh, I'm one of the new journal editors. And it's fair to say that our journal went into the doldrums, shall we say. It's coming out of the doldrums pretty damn quick, I can tell you that much, because our first journal is due in, um, in October. Mm -hmm. It's only twice a year. And, you know, it's a lot of hard work for people who are still at work. Um, I'm retired, so it, it's not that uh, problematic. Uh, but to make it enjoyable, interesting, maybe a little bit humorous in places, but make it something that people would look forward to getting. I wonder what's in the journal. This what what, what new thing is going to come out in the in the next journal? We we used to be like that in the seventies and eighties when it was all gestetnered and stapled together by hand, and there was always something that I was reading going, oh crikey, how do they get to do that? And oh, wouldn't I love to go to Arctic Norway to you know to record whatever and uh, and and you know and and we need to get the journal like that and we will do we will do um is there any other questions you'd like to ask me so i've got a couple i'd like to ask you i'm going to get in first because i think our membership will want to know what you are how long you've been recording you know uh, you've given some in inkling about you know um, your bird watching and and the, yeah we've all done that why wildlife sound recording as opposed to bird watching or taking a snap? Good. It's a really good question. And to be honest with you, I kind of came in through the back door. 
I have a very strange academic background. I, I have undergraduate degrees in marine biology and a very strange field called romance philology, which is the study of the origins of romance languages. So when I got out of school armed with two equally useless degrees, I, I decided to, uh, I decided to uh, create income by becoming a scuba diving instructor. And I actually taught scuba. I had a business in, in California. And we, uh, we ended up doing a lot, of, a lot of cinematography as well. This was the mid-70s. Jaws had come out. Hollywood was in love with anything that ha that lived under the water and had teeth. So any opportunity to uh, to shoot, uh, we got. And so we did a lot of B-roll work for Hollywood. We shot a lot of underwater footage. This was, you know, 16 millimeter film cameras in gigantic housings that had to be covered with lead to make them sink below the surface because they had so much air in them. So I got into film and video early on. And of course, when you do film and video, sound is a big part of that. So, you know, I, I learned fairly early on how to edit, how to work with sound, how, how to, you know, how to boom a mic, all that kind of nonsense. And then uh, I kind of migrated into still photography. And the, the truth of the matter is that in my, in my as we say, real world job, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a consulting analyst to the technology industry. I work with telecom companies and so on. But to, to maintain my sanity, I am and will always be a biologist. I love, I love spending time in the woods. I love spending time in the ocean. I love spending time in grasslands. It doesn't really matter. About 10 years ago, I, I started to become more and more interested in sound simply because of changes in the technology world. And I began to supplement the work I was doing in photography with sound recording simply because applications were coming out that allowed me to create digital slideshows so that I could show nature photographs for clients uh, with a sound background. And at first it was music, and then I kind of forgot the music and started recording natural sounds, whether it was water or, you know, the wind in the forest or birds, whatever it may be. And so I began to get serious about it about seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, meaning specifically focusing on sound with, with very specific microphone arrays and so on, uh, when I discovered people like Chris Watson, which was a serious mistake, because when I discovered Chris Watson, I decided this is something I needed to throw a hell of a lot more effort into, because, because like, like so many of us, I wanted to be Chris Watson. You know, you learn, you learn about somebody. I learned about Chris. And then from Chris, you know, I, I, I learned about a gentleman uh, a gentleman in uh, the Western United States who, you know, was was concerned about um, concerned about the, the loss. Yeah, Gordon mm -hmm. Hempton, the loss of, uh, of, of, of quiet spaces. Right. Very interesting. And then, of course, yeah. Bernie Krauss, you know, the, the, the great the great, you know, what, what the great orchestra. Right. The, the, the sounds of the orchestra combined with the sounds mm -hmm. of the world. It just, it just changed everything for me. And. And at that point, I realized that um, I needed to spend a lot more time doing this because it was supplementing my photography, and my photography was complementing the sound, and it was just kind of a, a wonderful, natural grouping. Oh, great. Well, that's, I, I mean, uh, there's very few people that have been able to go wildlife sound recording um, and make it their, um, make it their career. Uh, Chris is one of them. And he's done very well. He's uh, he's um, he's a very nice chap. He really is. He's enthralled lots of people, and the reason he's enthralled people is not just because he records wildlife sound. 
he, he looks at the whole spectrum of the use of wildlife sound uh, and sounds in in the world and we, you know we 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 again the wsrs wants to encourage that that width there are a lot of people who just want to record that animal get its vocabulary really quite scientific or research type recordings but there are others that want to create biophonies of their own it's the kind of thing i do but then we have this group of people and i should use the expression sound artist and they're trying to do all sorts of things with wildlife sound uh, and other sounds as well and and you know it, it, it's encouraging it gives a huge width to our our hobby we, we you know when we started in 60 1968 people were just interested in recording the different calls of blackbird mates or the different calls of you know, a crow would make or, or whatever. We're now, you know, we're now moving uh, on. We can be, be more creative with our sounds if we want to be. And the sound artists, they are the most creative. You know, there are some really good stuff there. As I told you earlier, I've just got a book from Holland by Hollis Taylor doing work on the Pied Butcher Bird. The book is called Is Bird Song Music? And I'm really, he only came to the post today and I'm really looking forward to reading it because it will give me, as a non-musician myself, it will give me some insight on the way people think about those sounds which I love pointing a microphone at and thinking what they're doing, what's it saying, what's it, what's it, why is it doing it? One of the things that fascinates me and that I write about a great deal is that if you go back to the Romantic Age, if you go back to the time when great scientific uh, discoveries were being made for the first time, you know, people like Herschel in England building the world's largest telescopes and, and Captain Cook doing his, his explorations and people like Lavoisier discovering the properties of gases and, and you know, Montgolfier building the first hot air balloons in France. I mean, the list goes on and on. What I found so fascinating about that is that without a single exception, all of those hardcore scientists, every single one of them, their best friends or life partners, as it were, were poets or musicians, every single one of them. And what I find fascinating about that is that they openly and freely told the world that what made them so good at science was the fact that they were surrounded by art. And the artists routinely said that what made them so good at their art was that they had friends who were scientists who helped them see the world in a different way. And to your point, one of the things that I find so interesting is that whether you're talking about Bernie Krause and the Great Animal Orchestra, or you're talking about what to me is one of the greatest things Chris Watson has ever done, and this is just personal opinion, I don't know what he feels about this, but when he was asked by the museum to select a painting and then build a soundscape for that painting based upon what was going on in that painting. I sat and listened to that. It, there was a presentation on, uh, on YouTube that I watched. I was absolutely mesmerized by what he did because again, he's looking at this and saying, what's going on here? What am I seeing in this art to which I can apply the science of sound and turn it into a complete 360 degree experience for the viewer? The idea being, 
that if we can get people to stay in front of the painting longer than the standard four seconds that most people spend in front of a painting in a museum, maybe they'll absorb something. Maybe they'll see something more than just, well, that's nice, and move on. And, I, and that, you know, to me, I just think that's a big part of what we do. Well, it's certainly a direction that Chris has moved to. He was um, a recorder of sound, as it happened. Just wanted to capture, and I, you know, I think my interest is because I'm I'm a hunter, really. I I like hunting. I, it's my it's something in my build-up, and I don't like shooting things and killing things. Um, but you know, I could capture that sound, and 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 that was my my main focus. Learn from it, and you know, and 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 and, and, and go on from there. How do you see? What do you think you can bring to the WSRS about, specifically this time, not generally, specifically uh, about US of A? Well, that, that's a good question. And, and so here are just a couple of thoughts about what I want to do. First of all, let me, let me reverse the question and say that one of the first things I want to do is I want to more broadly represent the WSRS in the United States. I want to bring more of their thinking, more of their capabilities and so on here so people understand what's, you know, what's available. Um, the second thing I want to do is, you know, the, the U.S. is a big place and we have a broad range of, of sound opportunities, whether you're talking about, you know, natural sounds of animals or you're talking about water or you're talking about whatever, wind, I mean, just a, a few weeks ago, I was down in the southwestern United States in New Mexico um, recording, well, like you, I'm a hunter. I, I find that when I go out to try to record something specific, I never find it. But when I just go out to see what I can see or find what I can find, wonderful <laughs> things happen, right? And so, right, yeah. That's, yeah, and so, that's, that's it. Yeah, yeah, so in the morning, I was recording, uh, I was actually recording birds that were a variety of birds in, out on the prairie. But in the afternoon, the wind came up. And of course, when the wind comes up, that becomes a little bit problematic. However, I was in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's one of those areas that we often say it's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from there. You know, it's very far out of the middle of nowhere. But the wind was blowing through the telephone wires. And so I put contact microphones on the phone poles, um, frankly, because I had read that this is something Chris does. And I figured, well, I can at least try it. And the results were unbelievably beautiful. I mean, it just, it was just fantastic, you know? And so what am I going to do with that? I don't know, but I loved it. I enjoyed it. I learned. It was a new experience for me. You know, so I want to bring a lot of that kind of thing uh, to the organization as well. And the third thing is, I just know, because, you know, anecdotally, I've talked to a lot of people. There are a lot of people in the United States that love to do what we do that range from rank amateurs who, you know, uh, record things on their iPhones because they want a memory to keep. And, you know, to them I say, good for you, but let's, let's take you to the yep. next level, right? I mean, I mean, let's face it. Um, and the third thing is, is you know, I, I want to try to bring those people together. I want to create some sort of a community here in the States of people who are linked directly to the WSRS in the UK so that we can create a larger community. That's, that is lovely to hear. Um... And one thing the United States have got is space. Um, the, it's a huge country. We in England and the UK are very small. 
and to find a place where you haven't got a car in the distance to get somewhere where you could just record the wind without you know a human made noise but to be in a place where you can just record the wind to have a have spaces like that must be wonderful i, I found it in australia and i found it in the arctic uh, you know and, and places but in the us it's pretty easy to find i would have thought it can be i mean to your point uh, sometimes you know, as large as the country is, as you know, it's pretty, it's pretty heavily populated. So you, you have to get a little creative sometimes to get away from, uh, to get away from, you know, what, what Bernie Krause calls anthropophony, right? The sound of humans that, that are out there, whether it's automobiles or, or airplanes or whatever. You're correct. I mean, airplanes, that's just a given. You just have to hope that there's enough time between planes that you can, you know, you can point the microphone in the right direction and the, the, whatever it is you're recording drowns out whatever's going overhead. And, and frankly, more often than not, it does. You know, we can, we can deal with that. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, part of the hunt, part of getting out there is not just hunting the sound, it's also hunting the location. It's, you know, it's finding a place that has the combination of sounds that you're looking for. I mean, I, you know, I love both uh, of what you described earlier. For example, a few weeks ago, I was out on a walk in the woods near my home and a red cardinal, one of the common birds here in this area, was in a tree above me calling. And it, it, you know, it sounded, it was like if I were to convert the sound into something to eat, it was like melted butter. It was the most beautiful, clear, crystalline sound. And I just stood there and recorded that one bird for about 15 or 20 minutes just to record it. Um, it was fabulous. But on the other hand, I find it just as intriguing, just as fun, just as enriching to capture an entire soundscape of, of, of nature where, where you have, you know, a little bit of wind in the trees and the trees are creaking and rubbing against each other and there are squirrels skittering around and birds calling and, you know, fish jumping in the lake. I mean, whatever it may be, that is just mm -hmm. as great because it transports us. You know, you close your eyes and listen, it transports you. Basically, within a human being, given half a chance, a half a chance to relax and just listen, they would get great enjoyment. The truth is, what you're describing is a big piece of the reason I wanted to get involved with this. And in fact, to go back to something you said earlier about wanting to attract more people, you know, one of the things I'm going to start doing here is that, uh, you know, I'm a writer. I mean, part, part of what I do for a living is I, I write books and articles and white papers and a variety of things. And I want to contribute pretty regularly to the journal as much as I possibly can. And, and so one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to write an article about um, how to get started in this. You know, you don't have to go out and buy, a, you know, a sound device's $6,000 deck and, you know, Jekyll discs and, and, you know, $1,000 microphones to do this. The truth of the matter is that it's usually much more about technique than it is about gear. I mean, yes, you have to have equipment, no question about that. Just like you have to have stuff from, from cameras, but it, from photography. But, you know, it always makes me laugh that when, when people ask me, when I show them a photograph, they always want to know what, did you, what kind of camera did you take that with? I mean, to me, that's like going to somebody's home and saying, that was the most delicious dinner. Thank you. What kind of a stove do you have? I mean, it's the dumbest, you know, it's the dumbest question. It doesn't I, I, matter. I, I always ask that question. I, I always ask that question. <laughs> of course I mean, you, you know, do. Like, it's, a, it's a thoughtful question to ask. What kind of stove have you got? 
Oh, very interesting. Is it a Mark IV or is it a uh, a two seven three stroke five? I mean, you know, I, it's, it's it's important to know this because I can taste the difference. <laughs> You know, I, I think 80% of, of becoming a sound recordist is learning to listen. It, it's learning it's learning the subject matter. It's reading the guidebooks. It's going out with people who know what they're doing. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I do a lot of photography, as you know, and people sometimes react in horror to what I'm about to say. But I've discovered that if you really want to get good wildlife photographs, go out with hunters. Because hunters understand the physical, the, the natural world, and they know where to go. And you know, obviously, you want to try to photograph it before they kill it. <laughs> but the point is, they have a level of knowledge that I don't have. So, so the same is true of sound recordists. So, I, I think first and foremost is learn the technique, learn your subject matter, understand the sounds, go out and just listen. Forget the recorder, just listen. That's what it's all about. You know, you don't have to make a huge investment to get started. We're going to point them to resources. We're going to point them to books. We're going to point them to experts that they can listen to. I mean, you know, I, 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 things like YouTube are amazing resources for people that want to get started. They can learn all kinds of things about the stuff before they really jump in with both feet. And, you know, I, I want to create that excitement for them. This podcast is a production of the Wildlife Sound Recording Society. If you'd like more information about our organization, please visit our website at www.wildlife-sound.org. I'm Steve Shepard. Thanks for listening.